for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Jesus Thanks in ag- chapter 10 of John declares himself the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. And in that same chapter, in verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. There are over 40 instances in your Bible where God is declared shepherd. And there's over 80 scriptures that reference us as his people as sheep. And the irony in that is not lost on me and probably not you either. Um, If you know anything or have studied anything about sheep, they are the most high maintenance of any livestock. They are um, governed by their mass minds. They're fearful. They're timid. They are stubborn and just downright stupid. David wrote the 23rd Psalm because he knew the work of a shepherd. He was the son of a shepherd. He was a shepherd himself. And he knew how much work it takes to be a shepherd. And he also knew sheep because of the fact that he was a shepherd. And David wrote this Psalm from the viewpoint of a sheep. I think so many times, Pastor Jim did a Facebook video earlier today, so many times we, we read the word and we, we, we seek ourselves in that word. We seek, and we should, what is this word telling me? What is this word correcting in me? What is God trying to do in me? But the scripture is there to glorify him. And as we read the scripture with the right focus, especially Psalm 23, there's this magnificent proclamation that David makes in the first three verses of Psalm 23 from the viewpoint of a sheep. He gives God praise for his provision. Those first three verses are praised during the winter and spring months while sheep are at their home pasture, their home ranch. And in the last three verses of Psalm 23, um, David makes a confession of his faith and confidence in his shepherd. And in this time period, it's, it's the summer and fall months when sheep are on the move to find new grazing areas. So they're leaving what is familiar and comfortable home, and they're on the move. And in that place, David proclaims his faith in his shepherd. I'm going to read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
I ask you tonight to go through this psalm with me verse by verse. I promise I'll try to go fast and make up for the minutes I lost um, with this microphone. <laughs> Plus, I might take a few extra. But as we read through it and study it and, and learn the, the, the trade of a shepherd and, and how they care for their sheep, I ask you to join me in seeing God as your shepherd. Put yourself in the position of a sheep that's cared for. As Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. We know that voice. We know who we belong to. And just let the word wash over you and show you the love and the compassion and the provision of God. Father, we come before you tonight and say thank you. We thank you that we can join together and learn more about you. I thank you, God, that you've chosen to reveal yourself through your word. I thank you that you've chosen to reveal yourself in creation. So many ways, God, if we just open our eyes, we would see you in so many things, in everything. We miss it, God, because we, we focus on what's right in front of our nose. I ask you tonight, God, to, to stretch us Convict us where we're self-focused. Convict us where we're confused and, and worry and fearful and timid and cause us to have a boldness to proclaim your glory. And you be glorified in everything we do and say here tonight, God, that nothing, nothing take place here tonight that isn't from you declared by your Holy Spirit through me. Let every word that comes out of my mouth be anointed by you Whatever my notes may say, God, I, I relinquish full, full knowledge, full remembrance, and I surrender to you tonight, God. Be with us. Lead us and guide us through your word. Teach us to love you more than we loved you when we got here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So like I said, we're going to go verse by verse, and I'm going to try to go really fast. Again, um... David wrote this from the perspective of a sheep, having known the work of a shepherd. And he says in the verse one, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. A shepherd is the owner of his flock. So David begins this psalm immediately with an outright confession that God is his owner and master. And as such, God is the one in control. Being a shepherd requires a lot of hard work. A shepherd has to prepare not only the homeland, but also other places for the sheep to be fed as the year passes by. There are so many supplies that he must gather. And he does this work. The shepherd does all of this work before he even owns any sheep. Once he's done all of this work to prepare for them, then he has to go buy them. And buying sheep is pretty typical. They all look the same, pretty much. Some better than others. But a good shepherd knows that by the work of his hand, every sheep that belongs to him has every chance to be healthy and flourish. And once he purchases them, the, purchases them, the shepherd places his mark on the sheep in their ear. And that mark is distinctive to that shepherd. That mark is so distinctive that it can be recognized who those sheep belong to from afar. The good shepherd is never happier than when he sees his flock is healthy, well-fed, safe, and flourishing under his care. This visual becomes his entire life. 
He will not count the cost of his labor to supply them with the finest grazing, the richest pasture, ample winter feed, and clean water. And the product of all of that hard work are sheep that don't roam. They're not looking for something better. The product of all of his hard work are sheep who do not want. And I question myself, and I ask you to question yourself tonight. What about us? Do we have the same understanding that David had? That Do we know what God's ownership of us truly means? Do we understand that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 and 7, 23, both say, for you have been, paid, you have been bought for a price. God marks us as he is. In John 13, 35, the Bible says, By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. In 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 12, paraphrasing says, That we are to be an example of those who believe in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. And the conviction for me there and I would ask you to consider, is do people see our mark from a distance and without question know who we belong to? I can't answer that yes all of the time. I want to. <laughs> David was content with God's care and ownership of him, so much so that he declared, I shall not want, are we? Verse 2 says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. There are four conditions that must be met for sheep to lay down or relax. The first one is that they must be free of all fear. Sheep are very timid and easily panicked. A rabbit darting out of a bush can send a sheep running. And when one sheep sees another sheep running, then they all run. And they don't even know why they're running. But a good shepherd knows that his presence, when his herd is upset, when he walks into that field, they, they calm down and they're able to lay down. His presence removes that fear from them. They must be free from friction with others in their herd. There is an order of dominance in every group. With chickens, it's the pecking order, and sheep, it's the budding order. And usually an older ewe will be boss of any bunch of sheep. Uh, she remains the lead by budding heads with and driving other ewes and lambs away from the better grazing areas and resting areas. And this ripple effect keeps happening. So there's position one, position two, position three, and they, they constantly fight to maintain these positions. They can't lay down for fear that while they're resting, someone might take their position or one of the other sheep may take their position. So they're constantly laying down, standing up, ready to fight. It's also worth noting that the further down you get in this herd of sheep, those without position are the most rested and most comfortable of the sheep. They must be free from pests or insects. We'll get into this a little bit later. Um, but sheep fight nasal flies, bot flies, warble flies, and ticks. 
And when pestered by these insects, the sheep can't lay down. Instead, they're on their feet, stomping and shaking their heads. And the shepherd comes along and applies repellents to his sheep to help them rest and, and fend off these um, insects. The sheep must be free from hunger. Most of the countries where sheep herding was popular in this day were very dry, arid lands. It isn't common to find green pastures there. And if there are green pastures there, they are not there by chance. They are the product of great labor and time put in by the shepherd. Rough, rocky ground had to be cleared. Brush must be removed. Deep plowing and soil preparation are needed. Seeding and planting, irrigation systems are installed. All of this provides those pastures for the, the flock to feed. However, hungry sheep are constantly roaming looking for their next bite. So those green pastures are a requirement in order for sheep to be full and to lay down. They also require water. However, they are terrified of water. Thirsty sheep will often drink from polluted potholes where they pick up parasites. They will not drink from a rushing river or stream. Sheep can't swim. And they sometimes get lost if they get too close to, to rushing water because once they get in, <clears throat> their wool gets heavy and they drown. Shepherds know the land and know where, to f where the fresh water can be found and make sure that those resources are available to his herd. And I think if any of us were asked, the honest answer is, I, 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 I want green pastures and still water. That's where we all want to be. But like sheep, we fear so many things. I'm, I'm guilty of, of fear creeping in from time to time. I'm guilty of asking the question, well, what will happen if X, Y, and Z happens? What if the shepherd provides for me, but it isn't what I want? Unity in the church suffers so many times because of the budding heads of position. We tend to lead people to ourselves instead of their shepherd because it makes us feel good to be needed or seen as in charge. And we hardly ever consider the head of the person that we butt to get to where we are. We have irritations. We have petty frustrations and disagreeable experiences. But our shepherd is there for us to turn to and give him those irritations. God is willing to tear out the roots of bitterness in our hearts. He's willing to break up the hard, proud human heart. He sows the seed of his own word to feed us. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, we read, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The life of not wanting more but being thankful for what his hand has provided is a life that can rest because you truly are never hungry or thirsty. In verse 3, it says, He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Sheep become what is called cast. And being cast means that they get down and they can't get themselves back up. The majority of time when a sheep is cast, it's because they are so tied to their habit that they have overgrazed 
and just keep walking the same path over and over and over, creating ruts that they then fall in. But sheep don't have the ability to right themselves. And they'll lay there with their legs in the air, flailing, potentially dying, unless their shepherd comes and sets them back upright. Because a shepherd isn't the only one looking for a cast sheep. The predators are too. A shepherd knows that to feed his flock well, he must keep them on the move. They have to be shifted from pasture to pasture, pasture, to pasture periodically to prevent overgrazing. This move is predetermined and planned by the owner. The owner's entire name and reputation depend on how effectively and efficiently he keeps his charges moving onto wholesome, new, fresh ground. The same thing happens in our life. We read the scripture and we see time and time again that Jesus right the cast sheep. He took time with and he healed and he used those that society had deemed useless. He restored Peter and even gave him the job of feeding his sheep, the charge to feed his sheep after Peter had denied him three times. And a shepherd's only care is for the well-being of his sheep. Nothing more and nothing less. We like sheep. Um, are creatures of habit. Sometimes we'll overgraze in areas that we think we're comfortable, even if they're not good for us. We want to go our own way instead of the way that the shepherd is leading us. Isaiah 53, 6 proves this and says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Psalm 106, verse 8 says, He saved them for his namesake, that he might make his mighty power known. Pastor Jim has taught us over and over and over, the scripture tells us that God saved us for his own glory. He provides for us and he leads us in the path of righteousness for his namesake. All of the good things in our life, all of the things that we're so arrogant to even consider not good in our life are there for his namesake and for him to be glorified in his provision, in his care, in his protection of us. His reputation can be spread as being the faithful master who provides for every need of his flock. Those are the first three verses, like I said, which are praise. We're about to go into the last three verses, and this is the time of year. It's summer. Summer is coming. And in the summer, the shepherd drives his sheep from their homeland, where the ground needs time to be replenished, into the mountains. And David knew what the summer months meant for sheep and the shepherd, and he moved from his form of praise in the good times to an even more intimate relationship with his shepherd. As we read through verse 4 through 6, I'd like for you to notice that in the, these last three verses, David begins to personalize his relationship by using the words I and you. He begins to confess his love and his trust in his shepherd. <clears throat> verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
When they move from their homeland into the mountains, there are valleys, and death, the shadow of death is all around. These valleys have ravines and ditches that the sheep could fall in. These rocks and crevices are perfect hiding places for predators. There are torrential rains that flood the valley very quickly. There are mudslides and rock slides and avalanches. But when that shepherd carries his flock through that valley, he's already been through it. Because in the months leading up to the summer move, the shepherd has gone before his sheep and has prepared every step of the way for them to make it to the tablelands, which we'll talk about. So the good shepherd never, he never causes us to go into an area or a place that he didn't go before us. And I think that that's wonderful. He also knows that in these valleys are the best watered grounds. There are springs and quiet pools in these valleys as well as some of the best feeding grounds that will allow the sheep to eat and be nourished as they move forward. He spares himself no pain or trouble or time to keep an eye for these hazards as his flock is moved. And because of his presence and his effort, his sheep, although a fearful animal, do not fear in the valley. It says I... I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So many times we allow ourselves to walk into that valley with this proclamation and trust. I, I'm guilty. Everyone knows Pastor Jim has health things. And I stand in that valley, but I forget sometimes that the word says that I walk through it. Sometimes I convince myself that we're gonna, we've are going we walked into it to die there, or that we've walked into it and just wander aimlessly in circles. But the Word says, I walk through it. And the work of the shepherd keeps him with me as we walk through it. There's no valley in our life that God won't see us through because he's gone before us and he knows what's ahead of us and he's prepared that area for us. The shepherd carries a rod and a staff while he's with his flock. The rod is carved to fit only the hand of the shepherd that will carry it. It becomes the weapon of defense for himself and his flock. It's literally an extension of his right arm. It stood as a symbol of his strength, his power, and his authority. It was the instrument of discipline for a wayward sheep. And if a shepherd sees any of his sheep wandering away on its own or approaching poisonous weeds or getting too close to danger, the rod would be thrown through the air to send the wayward animal scurrying back to the flock. Sheep are actually comforted by, comforted by this rod. For us today, that rod is the word of God. It is the express intent, the extended activity of God's mind and will in dealing with men. It implies the authority of God. It carries the conviction of discipline. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hidden means that it's there for you to meditate on so that the word can be brought to our remembrance by the Holy Spirit in times of confusion, question, or good deed. 
He also uses that rod to carefully inspect his sheep. A sheep that passed under the rod had been counted and looked over with great care to make sure that all was well with it. Their long wool prevented it from being easy to detect prevented it from being easy to detect disease, wounds, or defects in the sheep. But as that rod was rubbed across that sheep's back, those wounds, those areas that needed special attention were made evident to the shepherd, and they could receive the treatment that they needed. This was a comfort to the sheep. Because it's the only way in which a hidden problem could be corrected. And the word tells us in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. The word is there for discipline. The word is there for correction. The word is there to inspect us, but the word is there to heal us and to right us where we're wrong. If you don't spend time in the word, can I encourage you to spend time in the word? Let let the word of God scan over you and pluck out those hidden things that need to be dealt with because they help us Maintain that confession that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. A shepherd is the only farmer who uses a staff. It is designed specifically for the needs of sheep. It is normally a long slender stick with a crook in the end of it. And it has three purposes. It draws sheep together. A newborn is given to its mother with the staff in order for there to be no human scent left on it. It catches individual sheep. It's used to draw them close to himself for inspection as sheep tend to be timid and stay at a distance and for guiding. The staff laid gently against the side to guide a sheep back into the pasture or to turn from danger. God has given us his Holy Spirit as a staff in our lives. He guides us through the word to make it plain to our hearts and minds and spiritual understanding. John 16, 13 says, However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit unifies and edifies the body of Christ, bringing us together. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. So we're coming out of the valley approaching the highlands. The mountaintops are called plateaus or tables. And while these tables are remote and hard to reach, the good shepherd takes the time and trouble to ready them for the arrival of his flocks. He surveys that land in the spring. He'll go again ahead of his sheep to prepare the land. He carries minerals and salts to distribute over the lands. He will decide his camping areas in order for the sheep to have the best bedlands. He cleans out the water holes. He reinforces and opens dams in order for water to flow freely. And he's always watching for predators to stalk his sheep as they graze on the tablelands, as he knows they watch and wait for a sheep to get alone. But because of the shepherd's present presence, 
the sheep can eat in full view of the predators. God has prepared our table land for us. Jesus was tempted in every manner that we could be, that we could be tempted in. And I weep every time I think of Jesus walked through the land. He surveyed the land. He's given us everything that we need in his conquering, in his victory. And he's made a place for us to eat in the presence of our enemies and still be in peace. Earlier, I talked about the, the flies and parasites that plague sheep and how the shepherd protects them from these things with ointment. So there's a fly called a nasal fly, and they are the most troubling to sheep. They, this is going to be gross, I'm sorry. <laughs> they, they land on the sheep's nose and they lay eggs. And then the worm-like larvae work their way into the sheep's head and they burrow into the flesh and cause intense irritation. And to find relief, the sheep will deliberately beat their heads against trees, rocks, and posts. In extreme cases, a sheep may kill itself or an intense infection will lead to blindness. But that shepherd has prepared and brought with him ointment that is smeared over the sheep's nose and head as protection. And once applied, the sheep are content, free from aggravation and fear. And it's not just a one-time application. It's done over and over and over. And I find this to be an amazing picture of our lives. Y'all are probably better than me, but how easy does a fly in the ointment send us into a frenzy? A hurt feeling or a misunderstanding or, or worry begins to creep into our minds. And then those eggs burrow into our heart. And then we allow fear and bitterness to set in. And we pace and we cry and we shake our fists in anger. Or we just sit in a constant work because of the worry and the fear. It causes anxiety and, and all of this turmoil inside of us. We tend to tell everyone that we know about it. We don't search the word for the ointment. There are verses in our Bible that deal with this in us. There's scripture that says, take your offense to a brother first. Nowhere are we given permission to go gripe to everybody else and stop talking to our brother that offended us. They're who we're supposed to talk to first. But we don't do it. That verse, there's a verse that says, unless you forgive, you won't be forgiven. There's a verse that says, who is, he who is given much, much is expected. We are expected to behave above board. But I, I don't always. We, we make jokes um, about how Pastor Jim is so much more 
graceful than I am about things. It's, it's the truth, and it's a condemning and convicting truth. Um, it has been for a while, but we've both said it a few times the last little bit while we've been up here. And, and I will confess and, and tell you guys that when people mistreat my husband, I see red. <laughs> and I got everything I could tell that person running through my mind. And it runs through my mind until it buries in my heart. And then I don't look at people in the eye. I don't show them grace and I don't show them mercy. So I admit that I am convicted by that and I repent of that publicly. That that is something I must work on. Because I can't stand here tonight and tell you not to do those things if I do them. As fall approaches, the cooler air rids the flock of their insects. Cooler weather keeps them from the exhausting heat, and they leave the tablelands in better health than they entered. Here, their cup is overflowing. Our cup should overflow, too. We are provided for and protected and loved and have been sacrificed for, just like these sheep I've been telling you about tonight. And if you feel like your cup isn't overflowing, I would like to read some scripture to you very quickly to help you get there. And I ask you to to study them, go back to them, and help yourself find that place of contentment in all situations and in all circumstances so that your cup may overflow. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is in any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And in verse 11, skip verse 10. In verse 11, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Those things that are honorable, those things of good report, those things that are noble, those are the things that we dwell on. Those are the things we think on. And when our focus is there on God's goodness, on his, the provision of his hand, Our cup truly does overflow. Verse 6, I'm going to go fast. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Through this study, we have emphasized all of the care and attention and hard work put forth by the shepherd. He has literally given all of himself to the good of his flock. And these sheep, David knew and he proclaimed, these attributes of his shepherd. And because of the life that sheep and their shepherd lived together, 
Because of his presence, they are content. And as David states, he knows that goodness and mercy will be the treatment that he receives from his master's loving hands. It's not a promise of no obstacles. It's not a promise of mercy from others. It's a proclamation that the goodness and mercy of our shepherd are with us all the days of our life. And because he is a faithful shepherd, the good shepherd, we will dwell in his house forever. Because again, in chapter 10 of John, he says, Jesus says that we hear his voice and we follow him. And in following him, we dwell with him. 